but I want to begin by um, sharing with you a little bit of the feedback that we've received from the National Church Life Survey. Uh, so a few weeks back, uh, if you were at SALT on that Sunday, you completed a survey uh, answering questions about how you felt about God, your relationship with him, uh, what you understand about the Christian message, how you feel about uh, living that out, sharing your faith, where you think that you need to be growing, uh, questions about church and so on. And we've received preliminary feedback from that. And I've just printed a couple of little things for you uh, in your handouts. So you'll notice here, words and actions. 97% of people at SALT who filled out the survey talk about matters of faith with other members of their households. That is pretty much everybody is open and willing and does talk about things that they believe about God, their relationship with Jesus, what they're learning from the Bible, things that they are enjoying, things that they're struggling with. We talk about it with those in our households. That is so encouraging. But we also see this feedback that 31% of us feel at ease talking about faith with others and take the opportunities to do so. So in other words, roughly one in three of us are feeling comfortable with talking about what we believe. Roughly one in three of us are willing to speak up about Jesus in conversations with those around about us. And I was talking with a friend during the past week and their results in their church were very different. Uh, they had a, a slightly lesser number, they were a bigger church, of people who talk with those in their households about the Christian message. And they had 13% of people, that is one in eight, who were willing to speak up about what they believe. Whether it's one in three or whether it's one in eight, it's both encouraging and also an area for us to grow. An area where we can be encouraged and spurred on and equipped to be able to share Jesus with those around us. And some other feedback, if you look to the right, there were areas where we noted that we wanted to give attention to particular things. Uh, the biggest area that you wanted to give attention to this year at SALT, having filled out the survey, was spiritual growth. That is how you are going in your walk with God. Uh, you want to be growing in your walk with God. You want to be pushing on and growing so that you are living a Christian life, both in your household, in your community, at church, and so on. So that's a good thing, and we want to push into that, and really that's what church and our salt groups are all about, uh, as we meet together to be pushing each other to be growing spiritually. But notice this, and I think it corresponds well to the picture where we might be struggling a little bit, that is 40% of us, wanted to be encouraging uh, one another to share our faith with people and to invite other people to look at Jesus, to come to church, to find out about the gospel. So there's an issue for us. Uh, about a third of us are sharing our faith with those around us. Two thirds of us find that a difficult thing to do. Uh, and 40% of us are saying we want to actually get better at doing that. We want to feel confident. We want to be encouraged to be sharing our faith. Um, the reason I'm drawing your attention to that is this passage of the Bible speaks to the very heart of this question. And it says a lot more as well, 
but I'd like us to kind of narrow in on these questions. A quick recap before we look at Exodus 3 to 6. Chapters 1 and 2 that we saw last week have Israel in captivity, or at least their their, um, refugees in the country of Egypt who are now being held in slavery to the oppressed uh, rulers of the Egyptians, the oppressive rulers of the Egyptians. They're they're working very hard. We we see Pharaoh trying to get uh, rid of them. He actually commands that the firstborn baby, uh, if it's a male, uh, be killed. He, He commands that they be thrown into the river. And it's into this circumstance where the Israelites are being treated very harshly uh, in slavery in Egypt, where God speaks uh, into the situation and you have a particular person who's going to be our focus for the rest of the book. The particular focus is this little baby who gets called Moses, who grows up in Pharaoh's household. Uh, Once he reaches about 40 years of age, he goes to check out his own people, the Hebrews. And when he goes there, he sees their oppression. He ends up murdering an Egyptian who's treating them harshly, uh, buries the body in the ground, then realises that there's going to be all kinds of problems with this and flees to the area of Midian. And then for the next 40 years, Moses, uh, who marries into the family of a guy called Jethro, uh, is living basically looking after sheep in the area of Midian, And he's wandering around with his sheep one day, and these events occur in chapter 3. We probably know them quite well, uh, but I hope that there'll be plenty of things here that we see afresh. What we have uh, in chapter 3 begins uh, with Moses tending a flock uh, that belongs to his father-in-law, and he's out in uh, in the countryside, and an angel of the Lord appears to him in a very strange form. Uh, he, he looks across and he sees a bush on fire. Uh, now, of course, if you've ever seen a bush on fire, it doesn't last very long. Uh, what tends to happen is it flames up as all the leaves and, uh, and everything catch a light, and then those things burn and you're left with smoke and a smouldering black stump. But this bush doesn't burn up. Um, it's flaming, but it's not on fire. And so as, uh, as Moses' curiosity is piqued, he comes close to this, and God calls out to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Now at this point, I don't think he knows who it is that's speaking to him. It's just a voice that's coming from a bush. It must have been pretty strange. And he's told not to come any closer because it's holy ground and he should take off his sandals. So I'll take off my sandals. I always feel more comfortable when I do that. Uh, And then God speaks. And this is what he has to say in verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is telling him who he is. And it's not just, I'm going to drop a few names. We've already seen that God is the one who made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. He's the God who makes promises, who's speaking to Moses now. And at this, Moses... uh, hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Um, And that's an appropriate action, I take it. God says to him down further in verse 8, I've come down to rescue the people of Israel from the hand of the Egyptians. 
God's plan is that Moses will be the one to do that. And so you pick it up at uh, verse 10. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So this opening section in, in Exodus chapter 3 is Moses commissioning. God has got his attention. I'm not sure exactly why he's done it the way he has. But you'll notice it's on a mountain called Mount Horeb. That will be significant. Uh, he speaks to Moses. He reminds Moses that he is the God of his ancestors to whom he made promises. And he tells Moses that he's got a job for him to do. He's going to send Moses uh, to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And what I want us to look at, and I think it's what punctuates the next uh, four chapters, is how Moses responds to his commissioning. And you'll notice if you look at your handout that Moses objects in this passage seven times. There are seven objections that he makes to the job that God's giving him to do. And I think as we look at these objections, it's there that we will find, and in God's answer to these objections, that we'll find hope and encouragement for some of those issues that we were feeling when we did the NCLS survey. So Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Um, who am I? Like, what credentials do I have? Uh, what sort of a person do you think is needed to go to the most powerful superpower, the Pharaoh, the, the king who's ruled over uh, these massive cities, built this empire, um, he's brought the people into slavery, he's built the pyramids, he's done all of this. Who am I? says Moses, out mining the sheep to go and bring the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt? That's his first question. Who am I? And God answers that question. He says, well, I will be with you. That's God's answer. In one sense, see, it doesn't matter who, who Moses is. It's who Moses is going to have with him. And God says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that that." It is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So God's answer is, it's not who you are, it's who I am. Then Moses says, his second part of this objection, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, God's answer to this, I think, is the foundation for the rest of this passage, the rest of this book, the rest of the Old Testament, and leads us into the New Testament. It's, it's absolutely critical stuff. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on God's answer here. Because when Moses asks God, what is your name? God gives him his name. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. That's his name. Who are you, God? I am who I am. Or I will be who I will be. I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, it's a little enigmatic, isn't it? What's he saying with I am who I am? It's a strange name to have. But basically, God is saying that he is a being. That's what it is to be I am. I am a being. 
And God is no ordinary being. We're human beings, right? That is, we are human beings for a time. There'll be a time when we're no longer human beings. That is, we're not being anymore. Uh, we, we're born, we live, and we die. And while we live, we're a human being. God is in his very essence being. I am a being. And notice there he says, this is my name forever. God is an eternal being. That's my name. I am forever. I am and always will be. I always have been. I always am. I always will be. God is the eternal essence. He is the one who is and always will be. That's who God is. That's what Moses is hearing. God is the eternal being. But there's a name here that we don't quite appreciate in our English versions. And that is, if you notice, it's in capitals, I am who I am. And then down a little further in verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, and so he goes on. But notice the Lord there is in capital letters. It's quite important this. The, the Lord, if you've got your Bibles open there, you'll see that it's in capitals. And when you see the Lord in capitals, it's I am. It's this word. Now, a little bit of background to this. In Hebrew, there are no vowels. Uh, you've only got consonants. And the consonants that are in the name of God are what we would translate in English as Y-H-W-H. But it's a bit hard to know how to say Y-H-W-H because there's no vowels. So is it Yahweh? Um, and, and where do you put the emphasis? And, and so what people have done is they've inserted vowels to try and make sense of it. So you might have heard of God described as Yahweh. That's inserting two vowels, A between the Y and the W, and an E between the H and the W. Or you might have heard God called Jehovah. It's the same word, but there are three vowels inserted. Jeh, the J or the, or the Y, it's pretty much the same. Uh, G, and then the, sorry, J, and then the H, E and the H, and then O and then V-A-H. So when you see the Lord in capitals, what we have is God's name. But the reason it gets put as the Lord is that the Jewish people feared saying the name of Yahuwah. They didn't want to take it in vain. And so pretty much they stopped using it and they substituted Adonai or the Lord. And so what our English Bibles have done is they've followed that convention and they've put in the Lord, but they've, they've put it in capitals so that we'll distinguish it from when it's actually saying the master or the ruler, which is the Lord. And when you see it like that, you could have Yahuwah, who is the master, and you'd have Lord, who is the Lord. Okay, now that, that was all a little bit technical there, but I, I say that because we're going to keep reading about the Lord and what he does, and we need to realise that it's, it's taking us back to God revealing himself to Moses and saying, you want to know who I am? I am essential, eternal being. That's who I am. Okay, so the first objection, these are God's answers. Second objection, come down to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, 
What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? When, when he goes to his brothers and sisters, to the Israelites, what if they say, yeah, come on, pull the other leg. I mean, God really appeared to you? I mean, likely. Who are you anyway? I mean, where have you been? You, Midian? Where's Midian? You've been looking after sheep? Your father-in-law's sheep? God appeared to you and he's, he's, he's going to save all of us? who've been here in, in this place for 400 years, come on. You can understand why it might be hard. And Moses is told by God that God will equip him to demonstrate that he comes with the authority of God. He will be one who does signs. He's holding a staff or a, a stick. God says, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake. Uh, that would have been pretty alarming. Uh, a little more alarming when God says, pick it up by the tail. And he does that and it turns back into a staff. And then if they don't believe the first sign, he gives them another one. Stick your hand into your cloak and pull it out. And a perfectly healthy hand comes out covered in leprosy. That would have been pretty startling. And you can imagine that when God says, stick it back in again, there's a sigh of relief. That he puts it back in and it comes out and it's healthy. And then God says, well, look, if they don't believe the, the second of these signs, I'm going to give you a backup. Here's a third one. Uh, you can read about it down in verse 8. Uh, if they don't believe or pay any attention to the first or to the second signs, then what I want you to do is take some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, and the water that you take from the river will become blood on the ground. That'll be the third sign. So God's saying, don't worry if they don't believe that you've met with God I'm going to give you some signs that will demonstrate that you have but Moses isn't finished objecting so his third objection uh, comes in verse 10 Moses said to the Lord pardon your servant Lord I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant I am slow of speech and tongue uh, in, in other words Moses, like most people uh, in the world, struggle with public speaking. He says, I, I don't talk real good. Um, is it really uh, that me you want? I mean, I, I, I'm not good at this stuff. I stumble over my words. And I know I'm supposed to imagine that everyone's wearing their underwear, but that's just too awkward. I don't want to do that. And uh, so God has an answer for him. And, and the answer is brilliant. Verse 11, the Lord says to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It's not I, is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I'll help you to speak and teach you what to say. In other words, I think what God's saying is, Do you think I chose you for your abilities? I know you. I know what you're good at, what you're not good at. I know you stumble over your words sometimes. Uh, I, I know that you're fearful about public speaking. I, I didn't choose you because you won debating in high school. No, I will be with you and I'm going to equip you to speak and I'm going to tell you what to say. Well, Moses continues to object. Uh, verse 13, then Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, but please send somebody else. <laughs> He must be realising by this point that God's got an answer. Um, and so he's pretty blunt at this point. I just don't want to do it. Um, I, I, 
I don't want to. Uh, I, I'll sign up for another job. I'll pack chairs, all right? <laughs> but I don't want to do the public speaking. And God gets angry with him. And he answers him with mercy, even though he's angry. He says, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him with words and, uh, and put words in his mouth. And I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Moses' objection, please send somebody else. God says, okay, but you're still going. God has a job for Moses. Uh, Moses will be God to Aaron. In other words, God will give Moses the words to say. Aaron might speak on his behalf. But Moses will be there. And Moses will be responsible. And Moses will be the one who does the signs and the wonders that point to the saving God. You see, God will use Aaron, but he will use Moses. So we, uh, we read on then through chapter 4, and you get Moses going back uh, to the Israelites. Uh, you have him speaking to Pharaoh at the beginning of chapter 5. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me. And then Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord? That is, who is Yahweh? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord, Yahweh, and I will not let him go. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness. And so it continues. Pharaoh gets annoyed. Uh, and we're going to see his annoyance and his reaction a lot next week uh, as God and Moses bring various things uh, in his way. But his annoyance leads to increased oppression of the Israelites. He just makes their job harder and harder. Uh, the slave masters are expecting more and more. And they actually take away their ability to make bricks and do things effectively. Uh, so the Israelites are now getting upset with Moses. Uh, and the Israelite overseers at the end of chapter 5... They realised that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you each day, even though they're given no straw and, and they've got to go out and collect this and so on, and they're being beaten for it. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you, because you've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh, and his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So it's going well for Moses, right? Um, here, he and Aaron, they've turned up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not interested. These guys are an annoyance. Uh, I'm just going to make life even more difficult for the Israelites. And so the Israelites now are upset with Pharaoh and they're upset with Moses. And so Moses' fifth objection. Here it is at the end of verse, uh, verse 22 from the end of chapter 5. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you've not rescued your people at all. He's, he's pretty upset. He's coming before God and he's saying, it's not working. Why aren't you doing what you said that you would do? Um, you've only made things worse. What do you want about? 
And then God replies with these words. And I've printed them for you uh, in your handouts because this is a wonderful promise that God gives uh, to Moses. Let's listen to this. First of all, in, in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Remember, because of my mighty hand, uh, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And God also said this, and I, I want to read this uh, with particular emphasis, just so you can get a sense of God's reply. And I've printed in your outline uh, with highlighting how God answers him. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I didn't make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan when they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land that I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. I am, I am, I am, I am, I will, I will, I will. You see, God's answer to Moses' objection is, I've got this. I'm going to do it. You've got a job to play, Moses. You just stay in your lane. You stick to your job description. Because I'm going to do this. I'm not expecting you to do it. I'm going to do it. That's God's answer. And who is the I am who's going to do this? The eternal being. The one who created the stars and flung them into space. The one who made the earth and everything in it. The one who rules over the Egyptians and the Israelites. This is the one who will do these things. You'd think that Moses might be a bit encouraged by now, remembering these things. But, well, there are problems. And uh, he objects again. Down in chapter 6 and verse 12. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Um, now, I just want to pause on this one for a second as well. And uh, this is particularly for those with um, maybe nerdy, kind of deeper interest in some of the details of the scriptures. Uh, you'll, you'll notice if you look at your footnote there, when it says, I speak with faltering lips, it's literally, I speak with uncircumcised lips. Uh, and it's kind of reasonable to see why the English translations have put faltering rather than uncircumcised. I mean, what could that possibly be talking about? Except for the fact that I skipped over a passage, which is really quite interesting. Uh, back in chapter 4 and verses uh, 
Where is it? Verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Um, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Um, It's a strange little incident that happens. And the temptation with a strange little incident like that is to put it in the too hard basket and to ignore it. And you'll notice that there is absolutely nothing on that in the handout. And I wasn't sure if I'd come to say anything or not. Uh, But I found it fascinating. Um, And I started to dig into this issue a little bit. And I rang a friend of mine. This is a true story. I have a friend who's done a PhD on circumcision. And uh, anyway, we won't, we won't go too much in, in there. But uh, th- this, this passage uh, is really a very important passage. Because think about Moses' upbringing. Moses is brought up in the land of the Egyptians, but he's a Hebrew. Now, it might be that Moses was circumcised on the eighth day because both his parents were Levites. And that may have been done. But then they might have thought, well, maybe we won't do that. Because we're going to stick him in a basket and uh, maybe he'll get picked up and maybe he'll survive. We, we don't know. At the end of the story, is we don't know whether Moses had been circumcised or whether he hadn't been circumcised. But we do know that for the Israelites, seeing one who they would know to have been raised in the household of Pharaoh and then have been off in this strange land of Midian, come to be the one who will save them might seem a little bit strange. And Moses marries Zipporah and they have a boy, Gershom, and it's quite likely perhaps uh, that Moses and Gershom's son hadn't been circumcised as a young boy. And so again, there might be issues there in terms of uh, God and his relationship to the firstborn of of, uh, Moses and his wife and the firstborn of the Egyptians, and so on, that's to coming. Now, this, there's all a bit of detail here. Uh, and another piece of detail is the foreskin being placed on the feet. You think that's a little bit strange? Except for the fact that feet is often a euphemism for genitalia, uh, which probably uh, fits a little bit. You didn't think you were going to get any of this stuff, did you, when you came to church today? Um, but whatever's going on there, there's some stuff that is very much at the core of what it is to be one who is in the sign of God's people. And I suspect that Moses isn't simply repeating here, I've got faltering lips, but questioning his credentials. I mean, who am I? Like, I've got uncircumcised lips. Uh, uh, Where do I really fit with all your plans and purposes, God? And so the next thing that you get in Genesis, in chapter 6, is a genealogy which places Moses very carefully in the family tree of Abraham. And so down in verse 20, Amran married his father's sister, uh, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses, and Amram lived 137 years. And down in verse 26, it was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. It may well be that Moses is saying, God, not only am I a poor speaker and terrified by this prospect of doing something that I'm completely incapable of doing, but I'm not even sure I've got the right credentials to be accepted by my own people, let alone by Pharaoh. In which case, God is saying, no, you've got the credentials. You're part of the family tree. 
you're part of the promise that I made to Abraham and to Isaac and to, jo- and to Jacob. And here he sits in the history as one who's a descendant of Levi. Now, I don't know um, whether that's what's going on here, but Moses is, again, encouraged by God. And then you get one more uh, objection uh, down at the end of verse uh, 28, 29, 30. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, it's the same word, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Summary, I'm not up to this. It's too hard. So what we've seen is God commissions Moses with a job. He's going to be the one through whom God will save the people. And Moses sees it as too difficult. It's too hard. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. I don't have the credentials. I I don't have the skills. I'm not sure that I'm the man for the job. Please get somebody else. I, I can't do this, God. I'm terrified by this prospect. And at every point, God answers him. God says, no, I'm going to be with you. God says, I'm going to send signs that show that you speak with my authority. God says, I know your limitations as a speaker. And by the way, I'm I'm happy to let Aaron do a fair bit of the speaking as well. Aaron and Moses, they are part of God's plan. But it doesn't depend on Aaron and Moses. God says, I'm going to do these things. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am, in very essence, the eternal being. And as the creator of all things, I'm going to create a new people who will come and worship me. Trust me, he's saying to Moses. I've got this. Moses questions, but God has it under control. Now, I just want to note in passing before we tie some of this together that Moses, we will see through this book, becomes a type, that is a prototype, if you like, of Jesus. Uh, As Moses is used by God uh, to bring redemption, the release of people from slavery in Egypt to come to worship God, so Jesus is used by God to redeem people, not from slavery to a foreign power, but from slavery to sin and the devil and death and judgment to bring them to worship him for all eternity. So Moses becomes a type of Christ. But there's differences, two key differences that we see from this passage. The first is that Jesus is a willing redeemer. Moses is finding every excuse he possibly can. And you might think, well, hang on, didn't Jesus kind of balk a bit at the end? I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's he's praying and he's saying, God, please take this cup from me. If there's any other way, please, may I not have to do this? Isn't Jesus afraid? He's sweating drops of blood. There's every reason to be afraid, not of death that's coming, but the fact that he is about to bear the sin of the world And come under the curse of God. But he doesn't balk. He remains willing. He says, not what I will, but what you will. He comes to do the Father's will. And praise God, he goes through with it. But there's another element to this as well. You see, Moses the Redeemer is introduced to the God I am. Jesus says, before Abraham was, 
I am, referring to himself. Jesus is the great I am. He's not just a superhuman being. Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. Jesus is God amongst us. And when God comes to save us from sin and death for all eternity, he comes himself and he redeems us in Jesus. And we thank him for that. But friends, without taking anything away from that, I think that this passage speaks to our fears and our struggle to trust in God when things are difficult. Whether it's the circumstances of our life or whether it's the struggle to be confident to speak up for what I believe. Because I know that the people at work will cut me down for it. Because I know that my friends will post badly on Facebook if I do. Because I know that I'm not going to win any popularity contests doing this. Because I fear for my job if I speak up. Because my family will, will tear me down if I do. There are all kinds of reasons why we, like Moses, are tempted, I think, within ourselves to go, God, can you save them? But can you save them through another way? Can someone else talk to them? I'll, I'll do the praying, God, but can, can somebody else be your means to, to actually rescue these people? And if that's how you feel at times, I get it. I am one who is often afraid to speak up. I'm one who's tempted to think that the message I've got really sounds so weak. Now, I want to tell you about a guy who lived 2,000 years ago who was actually God who made everything. He was born of a virgin. Um, he was never married. And in his 30s, he kind of had a gathering group of followers. Uh, he then was nailed on a cross. And if you trust in that one who was nailed on a cross who by the way came back to life again then you can be saved and and be with god for all eternity um where do i put that story do i put it alongside harry potter do i put it alongside lord of the rings do i put it along myths and legends or am i speaking the truth it it just doesn't seem to cut it does it I'm tempted at times to feel this is a weak message or I'm tempted to think that I'm not able to answer every question that somebody has and so I go quiet. Deep down, I, I think my problem is probably at the core of what Moses' problem is and that is Moses sees people as big and threatening and God is small and impotent. And God reverses that. God says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I'll work through you, but don't worry, I'm going to rescue the Egyptian, the Israelites. I'm going to do this. And that same God will work through you as you speak up at work as you encourage a friend, as you own up to what you believe, as you answer questions. And God knows that you struggle and he knows that we find things difficult and he knows that sometimes it's just hard to believe that he's got this when our life seems to be falling apart in different ways. But in this passage here that we've looked at, we're reminded that God is the God who makes promises and keeps them.
I'm the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. I'm not just the God of history. I'm the God who made a promise to save people and bless all people for all eternity. And I'm keeping that promise. So we don't have to fear, do we? And that's why I think in looking at God's word, even from this book of Exodus, we will probably grow in our feeling less at ease in talking about our faith with others. And we might be motivated more and more because we're reminded of who God is and what he's doing uh, to speak up and to be visible as Christians. And so I want to encourage us to remember that we're never alone. God is there and he knows what he's doing. Let's pray.